Likutei Sichos, Chelik Tezvav, Volume 15, the first Sicha for Parshas Vayigash. This is a Rashi Sicha, however, a very easy and very smooth going Sicha. Almost you wouldn't even feel that it's a, you know, your typical Rashi Sicha. In fact, we're going to learn a very important rule in, you know, the way Rashi explains Pshutei Shalmikra, I believe one that we have not yet discussed. Also, we'll kind of, by the way, learn about something very, very important, something very fundamental in our lives, a phenomena that happens to everyone, and that is shikha, forgetfulness. And you think about it, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I mean, it obviously comes from Hashem, so it must be a good thing, but what is really good about it? Sometimes we forget where we put our keys and we're in a rush to get somewhere. That's not such a good thing. But then perhaps there are times when forgetting something is actually the most wonderful of blessings and helps us get on in life, as we'll see. So the Rebbe begins by saying that we know that every single time there is an issue, there is a matter in Pshutoi Shel Mikra, in the very simple and basic understanding of the verses, Rashi addresses it. In other words, without fail, Rashi is our teacher. He's the dedicate, dedicated teacher who addresses each and every single issue, every matter that may come up in Shemikra to clarify it for us. And therefore, when we see, when we notice that there seems to be an issue in Pshutei Shemikra, there seems to be a problem, and yet Rashi doesn't address it. Not only he doesn't ask a question, he doesn't even give an answer which usually implies that there is a question. That already tells us, that's very telling, because that tells us that either one of the two, Either Rashi had already forewarned it, meaning he had elsewhere, prior to this verse, already explained this matter, and therefore he relies on the fact that being the good students that we should be, that we, since we already learned it once, there's no need in going over, in repeating it and going over again, or perhaps by a little closer examination we will come to the realization that indeed it is not an issue, it's not a matter, it may seem so on the surface, but therefore Rashi didn't find a need to, uh, to explain it. So according to this, we need to take a look in our Parsha, in beginning of chapter 45. Finally, after the whole back and forth and Yehuda pleading, finally Yosef is ready to reveal his identity to the brothers. And what does he say to them? He says in the verse, he says, Ani Yosef, I believe it's verse 3. I am Yosef, Ha'oid Avichai. Is my father still alive? Now, if you think about it, this is an astonishing question. Because the entire back and forth, the entire discussion of this week's Parsha, and especially last week's Parsha, the whole ordeal, the whole narrative is all about what? We have a father, he is old. He is frail. He's already suffered so much. And we will not be able to tolerate this extra pain, this added pain of losing Binyamin, of losing us, and so on and so forth. So he obviously knows and it's very clear that his father is alive. Okay? That's number one. Number two. Moreover, Yosef just asked a question. He says, quote, I am Yosef. Is my father alive? He doesn't wait for an answer. He doesn't wait for them to confirm that Yaakov is alive. Rather, he carries on and he goes right away. He says, listen, go quickly up to my father. 
go up to Israel, that is, and immediately bring him down here. So in other words, Yosef was quite clear, and it was obvious to him that Yaakov is indeed alive. So what exactly do these words mean? And Rashi says nothing. Rashi doesn't address it. So the question is, what exactly do these words mean? Obviously, they don't mean what we just thought they meant. It's not just a simple question as, is my father alive? Because in that case, Rashi would have to address it. The whole, the whole thing doesn't make sense. Rashi doesn't say anything. So obviously, it means something more than just, quote, is my father alive? There's something behind these words. What is it exactly? And again, Rashi doesn't say anything. So the Rebbe brings from another commentator on the Torah, the Abarbanel, who explains it as follows, that he was really trying to do was to draw them into conversation. You know, this is very unpleasant. There's a lot of tense, tensity in the, in the air. So what he tried to do, his intention was, says the Barbineau, was to ask him, hey, to make small talk, hey, is my father alive? And then when they respond to that, then go and continue and say, hey, how are your families? How many children do you have? And kind of draw them into conversation so they can have a friendly, brotherly chat. However, what happened, as the verse says, that his brothers just could not answer him. They were totally bewildered. They were in total shock. And they were totally embarrassed. So they couldn't, so the conversation just didn't continue. And it would seem nice, plausible, at least at this point, it seems like a plausible way of explaining it. And perhaps we can even suggest that this is, in fact, consistent with what Rashi would explain, and therefore Rashi had no reason to say anything, and I'll tell you why. Because earlier in this book, in the book of Beratius, in the book of Genesis, we find twice that a question was asked, but it wasn't asked as an informational question to gain, to garnish information that wasn't available. Rather, it was asked to draw the other party into conversation. The first time is, when you look in chapter 3, verse 9, after Adam and Chava ate from the ate Sadas, from the tree of knowledge, and Hashem arrives in the Garden of Eden, and he says to Adam, Ayeka, where are you? Of course, Hashem knew where he was. And the Arashi already explains that Hashem was trying to draw him into conversation, that he shouldn't be totally frozen in fear and not be able to respond. So Hashem kind of, you know, made small talk. Hey, where are you? And later, when Cain killed his brother Hevel, again, Hashem knew exactly what happened. Hashem knew exactly where Hevel is and where he's buried. However, when Hashem approached Cain, what did he say to him? Hey, Hevel Achicha, where is your brother Hevel? Okay? So it would seem that this is the reason why Rashi doesn't say anything, because this is the thinking here, and based on what he had already explained, not once, but twice, it makes it's logical that Rashi relies on us to already know from there that this is a normal way of doing things to draw somebody into conversation, even though you're asking something which is obvious and clear to you. However, this is not so clear. It's not so smooth and not so obvious. And the Rebbe says a very simple, logical reason why. Because if this were the case, why ask them about, quote, is my father alive? And then draw the conversation into, tell me about your families, tell me about your wives, tell me about your children, tell me who, you know, how your lives are. 
He could have just gone straight to that. Because about their father, they spoke about all the time. It was so clear and obvious. It was like the elephant in the room. The father was like almost standing there, almost in front of their eyes, that you don't ask the obvious. It's the same thing as standing there and saying, is it they now? That's not a way to 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 try to draw someone into conversation. You know, even when Hashem said to Adam, Ayeka, still... You know, it's like if, as if one person saying to another, hey, where are you? Okay, there still is. He's not standing there in front of him. When he says to Cain, where's your brother? Because his brother wasn't there. But here, Yaakov is almost like present in the room almost. And therefore, it doesn't make sense that, you know, this should be, so to speak, the, the ploy to try to join him in the conversation. Okay, so the Rebbe says, let's try. He suggests, let's try another route. Let's try to explain it this way. Perhaps with the word ha-oid avichai, the prefix of hey, which makes it is, is it, or if he is alive. What Yosef really meant to say is, indeed, I know that he's alive. But ha, the prefix of ha, could also be an expression of astonishment, bewilderment, like, like, like I'm astonished. How could he possibly be alive? In other words, I'm hearing from you all this time in the back and forth over the past few months and especially the past few days, the past few hours, especially I'm hearing from you that he's alive, but I'm like, wow, I am in, 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 in shock. How is he possibly still alive? Now, this perhaps is a good explanation, but still it needs some explaining. Why would it need some explaining? You see, because in order to be bewildered about something, in order to be astonished about something, there has to be a premise for it. What is the premise here for Yosef to be astonished that his father's still alive? I mean, if you do the calculation, Yaakov Avinu was only 130 years old at this time. Why would he expect him not to be alive? All the all these other ancestors lived much, way longer than that. That's number one. And also, it doesn't seem to follow the flow of the verse. It doesn't seem to connect. It seems like he's jumping from one thing to another thing. First he says, and let's go back to the verse, Ani Yosef. I am Yosef. And then immediately he segues, he continues to, is my father still alive? There seems to be a connection between the two. Otherwise, why would he say it in the same sentence? Moreover, almost in the same breath, he says it. And therefore, it seems to be, you know, something deeper here. And another question, which also seems to counter what we said. If this is the case that Yosef is like astonished how his father is still alive, why share it with his brothers? In other words, to him, this is a, a, a point of, of bewilderment, but not to his brothers. They know. They know the fact. They've been living with this fact all along. So why is he sharing it with them, and why in this moment? And the Rebbe explains as follows. And this will go back to the beginning of the story where Yosef was sold. If you go back to Parshas Vayeshev, chapter 37, verse 35. Over there, it describes the aftermath of Yosef being sold as a slave and the brothers coming with the shirt with the blood. And Yaakov cries out in agony. He says, Oi, I lost my son. And then it says, all his sons, all his daughters, the entire family tried to console him. Quote, and he refused to be consoled. And Rashi over there says clearly, what is the reason that he refused to be consoled? Is this a Jewish way? A Jew, unfortunately, even when you experience the, the worst of losses, 
you, you sit shiva. And people come and console you. And you're supposed to accept it. A Jew is not even, we say, a blessing that accepts God's judgment. So how is it possible that Yaakov refused? It says, He refused to be consoled. How is it possible? Rashi explains that because Hashem made it so that a dead person should be forgotten from the heart. Forgetfulness could be a very good thing. Because otherwise people wouldn't be able to to go on with life. They wouldn't be able to move on and live life and enjoy and smile and laugh and, and just ha be happy in life because you would live with the same pain that you, if one would live with the same pain that they live with in the initial moment when the person died, when they had you know that terrible tragedy, they would never be able to carry on in life. Says Rashi, and I'm paraphrasing now, that a person, quote, does not accept consolation, does not you know, it's not a lot, it doesn't become consoled for someone who's still alive. Because this decree, this phenomenon that of forgetfulness that Hashem made only applies to a dead person. It doesn't work for a living person. And this is what Yosef is saying to his brothers. Ani Yosef, I am Yosef. Since I am Yosef and I'm alive and I was alive all this time for these 22 years, Therefore, it comes out, oh, how's my father still alive? How did he bear this pain, the constant pain, the constant sadness, the constant mourning of 22 years of having lost his son and not being able for a moment to forget about it? And I'm like, how is he still alive? How nothing happened to him? And now we'll understand why he's sharing this with his brothers. Because immediately afterwards, what does he say to them? Look at the next verses. What does he say? Maharu valu alavi. Haste. Immediately. Don't waste any time. Go back to Eretz Canaan. Go back to the land of Canaan. And quickly bring my father down here. Don't, he don't, don't wait. Don't hesitate. And then I Frank, he says, And you should haste and you should speedily bring my father down here. Not just to tell him that I'm alive, not just to give him the good news, but that he should come here quickly and see me to compensate for all the years of pain, to compensate for all the years of agony that he's been through, which makes me wonder, how did he survive it? How was he able to, to withstand the constant and absolute pain for 22 whole years? And now also, by the way, we'll understand another very interesting thing. By the way, now we already understand why Rashi didn't have to say anything because Rashi had already told us in the past about this phenomena of forgetfulness. And now when Yosef says, after saying, after saying, I'm Yosef, it makes sense. And we fully, we get a full perfect picture as to why he said it, why he's sharing it. But it's not just to express his astonishment, but more it's to prompt them and to prod them into doing what he's going to say next, and that is, go bring my father immediately. However, this still begs a question. If this is the case, wouldn't it make more sense that Yosef should have just jumped into his limo, or whatever, his carriage, his oil carriage, and straight go up to his father? Show him that you're alive, and then bring him down to Egypt. In other words, why is he using this to prod them? To prompt them in order to uh, to to hasten their 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 bringing their father down to him, it would seem more reasonable if this is the case, and he's so worried about his father's agony 
to go up there and show himself to his father. Moreover, there is an issue of kibbutz of aim to honoring one's father. You go to your father, and your father come to you. This is clarified by the verses. If you look in the narrative, Yosef says three times, and we know three times establish something as a fact, as an unmovable fact. He repeats three times, he says to them, don't worry, don't feel bad. Hashem sent me, Lemichi, Hashem sent me to salvation before you. And then, then he says again, Hashem sent me before you to feed you all and to feed all the people. And then he says again, it's not you who sent me here. It's not you who made me come here. It's really Hashem who orchestrated the whole thing. Why does he have a need to say this three times? And this is the answer. The answer is what he's emphasizing to them is, look, I'm on a godly mission here. I cannot leave. It's not just about you and us, uh, us meaning as a family and my father and your families. No, it's about this, the, 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 the bigger picture here. There's people here that I need to feed. There are nations here that are counting on me. I can't leave. However, because I am so shocked and bewildered by the pain that my father endured for so long, for too long, therefore I am pushing you apart and you go there speedily and bring him back down here. And now we can understand also another very interesting thing that Abba says, perhaps, that there's another angle to this, which actually will teach us a very important lesson. And that is, since it's been 22 years, it's so long, and he suffered for those 22 years, day in, day out, because he couldn't forget about me, because I was indeed alive, and I am indeed alive. Yosef says, now you have to rush. Now you have to speedily bring it down here. You know why? Because the reason for the 22 years, as we all well know, it was really because those 22 years that Yaakov suffered and the loss of Yosef correspond to the 22 years that he wasn't home and he wasn't able or he did not perform the mitzvah of kibbutz Avaim, bringing happiness to his own parents. Yosef says those, those 22 years are up. By virtue of the fact that we, my identity became revealed to you, those 22 years are up. Now do not waste any time. Because now any suffering he suffers over that 22 years is for naught. He doesn't deserve to suffer that. He doesn't need to suffer that. And therefore he should not suffer that. And that's why Yosef hastened him. And what's the lesson from that? That ever says sometimes, you know, when it comes to education, it comes to dealing with other people, sometimes there is a need for a little harshness. Sometimes there's a little need for the negative approach, or what we call the small docha, the left side, which pushes away a little bit. Meaning, there's a need for severity. But one has to be very careful. Never do it over the amount that's needed, not even an iota, because in that case, it becomes cruel and unnecessarily, unnecessary punishment.